In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. The ruling on the field stands. We deliver jerseys, funny foam fingers, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. What's going on? This is Daily Memphian Memphis Tigers podcast host Drew Hill. Back for another edition with my co-worker, the other Memphis Tigers beat writer, Jonah Jordan. Jonah, what's going on, brother? I don't like the term co-worker. I like, like a friend. You could have said your friend. Why do you have to? Well, you start with a complaint every week. It's I hope like I'm we, good. We, we stumble out of the gate almost every well, week. Well, we stumbled out of the gate on your <laughs> intro. Real methodical there, Drew. No, no. <laughs> All right, people don't want to listen to us bicker back and forth for uh, for thirty minutes. So let's. Uh, where do you want to start? I'll I'll give you first pick. You want to I mean, start football, with football or basketball? Football. Let's start with football because I mean I think what happened last week in football was much more significant than what happened last week in basketball. Okay. In the long run, in the long run, what happened for Memphis basketball was good, but what happened with Memphis football is more impactful. What happened with Memphis football? I mean, it doesn't well, so <laughs> for some like of pretty, us, uh, pretty deadly. Um, yeah, not busy at all. So, um, Mike Norvell, obviously he departed for Florida state. He's the new head coach over there. It was shortly after the, uh, win over Cincinnati. I think everyone knew leading up to it that he was most likely going to leave. Uh, I think it was pretty much done. Um, then they went coach searching and, Ryan Silverfield made his plea, obviously. We'll go day by day. So on Sunday, Ryan Silverfield, I wouldn't say it was a plea, but he made his case for why he is most suited for the job. The most suited candidate, the perfect candidate. He's the right fit. He, They believe in fit and family, and Ryan Silverfield bought into that. And God, that's so cliche. It really is. But it, it like at the end of the day, a lot of their cliches, they've really bought into it. Like It's crazy, right? Like we say, that's coach speak. Or, but like you're talking to these guys and they really believe a lot of that stuff. Like they really, really like in their core, like believe the things that they are saying, which is crazy because you talk to some coaches, it's like, yeah, it's just to get guys motivated or it's to get this or that, or it's just, we needed a slogan, but Norvell did a really good job of building a system in which those guys bought into. And that's, I think that'll continue with Silverfield. Obviously we, um, names were thrown out there like Will Healy, Dan Lanning, Chip Long, Hugh Freeze, this, that, and the other. Um, Barry Odom, obviously. Um, we went a few days and it, a lot of people came out in support of Silverfield. He ended up getting the job uh, introduced the other day in front of at the football facility. Um, man, the team was so excited to see him introduced as the head coach. Like, I think he is the most was the most logical candidate, was the best fit. Um, they're off to practice now. I mean, like, like it was the most eventful week we've had in a long time. It was long. We're going to the co- out of all of that. I forgot Memphis is going to the Cotton Bowl to play Penn State. <laughs> Let me ask you this: Is it? And like, uh, I'm curious what you think. It is was it risky to hire Ryan knowing this that Ryan Silverfield is probably not a head coaching candidate at any other school outside of Memphis had he not, 
you know, come up for this Memphis job and they eventually hire him. And how much do you think that the rallying behind him had to do with the hire versus that's just the guy that they hired? So first off, I'll answer your second question first. Uh, Veach, Lawyer Veach made it very clear. Ryan run, won the job and he did not, he didn't really have any, or he wasn't paying attention. He wasn't on Twitter like, oh, do you Darryl believe Henderson it? That's said, my question. Yes. No, I totally it? believe Laird was not on social media. Actually, I know for a fact he wasn't on social media. He wasn't scrolling through his Twitter feed. He was locked in from the time this search started. This is why I had such a problem believing Barry Odom, the Barry Odom stuff that people were saying. I know Barry Odom was a candidate. I know he was a serious candidate. Was he the candidate? No, I, I had a hard time believing that because um, Laird Veach ran a very, very tight ship. There weren't any leaks. He did not want this leaking. Um, it re- really reminded me of Tom Bowen. They did a very good job of this. And I always thought it was strange when people would, like, oh, here and blah, 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 blah. Like, Laird doesn't, Laird shut it down. He did a very good job. I don't believe, and I believe part of that was just ignoring social media, ignoring outside influences. He had a group of people that assisted. He had a group of people who were in the loop. He had a group of people helping go find candidates or help with this, help with that. But I mean, like it was a very close knit shutdown process. Um, so I'm not surprised when he said that. Um, I already forgot your first question. Oh, do you the, think um, it's risky knowing that he probably, I mean, well, so he's, here's he's, the thing we talk about, I've written about it. We've talked all about a lot about it. He's been a candidate for a lot of jobs elsewhere, not head coaching. Jobs, okay. Though, but for, hold on. So fair. he could have taken, he could have taken the Kansas OC job. He could have, and that would have opened up a, a lot of doors. He could have taken the all, all, all Alabama offensive line job. That would have opened up a lot of doors. He could have he could have been the Florida offensive line coach three years ago. He could have been, um, he could have been in the NFL. I mean, I think he could have taken any of these jobs to advance his career, but he just chose to stay because this is where he wanted to be. He could have easily gone and come back. And he, he probably would have been a more even more attractive candidate had he spent a year in Alabama. But I do think I like there's significant interest, and who knows what other possibilities it would have right. working Pe- those places. People, people are going to think I'm dog. I'm like I'm not dogging Ryan Silverfield. I think they made the right decision. I'm just you know trying to ask you the tough questions. So what about this? Uh, obviously, he hasn't called any plays. He knows the offense well, but. Is it risky to hire a guy who's never been an offensive coordinator and never no. really called plays? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that it's going to be interesting what the Ryan Silverfield offense looks like. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what tweaks. I don't think I think it'll be as close as somebody phrased it to me the other day. It will be as close as it possibly can be without being the same. You'll see offensive coordinators come in, probably have a little bit more say, a little bit more influence. Um, but like Urban Meyer was never a, a coordinator. Um, PJ Fleck was never a coordinator. I'm pretty sure. Like there are coaches out there who've been successful and have never been coordinators. Right. Like I don't. I don't know. Was Ed O ever a coordinator? I'd have to look it up. But I mean, it's about managing managing the talent that you have, putting people in the best position to win. And I think Silverfield does a very good job of that. And he had a say in the offense. He had a say in what they were doing. And no, Ed Orgeron was never a coordinator, I'm pretty sure. Um, Ryan was a run game coordinator. Look how good their run game was. 
him and, him and Mike Norvell worked a lot together on that. Um, he may not have been calling the plays, but he definitely had an influence on what they were doing on game day. So I think being a coordinator is a little bit overrated in this situation. He's obviously a smart, bright offensive mind. Um, he's got Kevin Johns behind him right now, at least up until the bowl game. He kind of insinuated today at media that he was going to try and keep Kevin Johns around. We'll see how that develops over the next few weeks. But I don't necessarily think it's a knock because he was associate head coach. I mean, he was as high up at Memphis as you could be without having that coordinator title and you're never, well, he was a co-offensive coordinator. He was never going to be calling plays though with Mike Norvell here. So it is what it right. is. Um, Yeah, I kind of agree. I think his, his, his job now as a head coach is as much to just manage everyone as it is to call the plays and dial stuff, yeah. you know, design certain things. It's as much just managing things. And I think the next question is, what's he going to do with his staff? And, it sounds like, you know, he's going to try and pull on those NFL connections, right, and get some some uh some talented football minds in here to make to make uh to try and keep this thing rolling. But no, I kind of agree. I don't I don't I don't think it really matters that he's never called plays. Um yeah. but as long as as long as you can sort of manage the egos and keep your team in the right mindset, I think that's half the battle. When I, I watched that um, HBO documentary on uh, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban the other day, like the other week, and like none of the, yeah, they talk some like football specifics, but like a lot of it is just them just trying to keep their guys motivated um, to yeah. get better and so, stuff like that. And if that's ninety percent of the job, then you don't have to know how to call plays in order to be a good head coach. Yeah, the biggest thing like. I keep going back to Ed Orgeron. It's not somebody I would necessarily compare Ryan Silverfield to, but something he perfected this season is that he hired the best people to take over things where he may not be so strong. So Ed O, he doesn't call plays, so he hires somebody to help him do that. He got he has a good stellar offensive coordinator. Then he had a hired a passing game coordinator in Joe Brady, who's going to be a head coach one day. Um, those people helped put Joe Burrow and those guys in the best position to win. And I think that's something – that is a part of being a head coach is putting people in a position to be successful, putting the best people around you to kind of fill where you you, you may not be strong and you got to have some self-awareness to do that. You got to say, well, okay, I've never called plays before. So I'm going to have somebody who I think is strong at doing that um, and keeping those guys motivated. So it's like Ryan Silverfield, you saw those guys, the kids love them. The, they, they react very well to them. I mean, like Obina, as I talked about it yesterday, he said that, he feels a responsibility now. He feels, a, or he talked about it two days ago. He feels a responsibility now because that's the guy that recruited him. That's the guy who stuck with him through everything. That's the guy who stuck around when he could have left. And now he feels a sense of responsibility to go out and do, and, you know, do as best as he can. And I think that everybody over there is really proud of him, too, is something I've, I've gotten a sense of is that these guys are very, very, very proud that the guy to replace Norvell came from in-house and has been there for four years. How is Cotton Bowl prep going? Good, good. It's getting a little, I mean, obviously today came out that Fuller will not be, Adam Fuller, defensive coordinator, will not be coaching in the Cotton Bowl. Um, Are they working with like a skeleton crew over there Not, right now? Not really. So I'll be completely honest. So from the get-go, I tweeted a few weeks ago before, I think before Silverfield was announced that we'd heard that 
all the coaches were going to play and were going to coach in the Cotton Bowl. And that was the plan, is that every single coach, unless something crazy happened, was going to coach in the Cotton Bowl, 100%. That was even after four left. And I think the plan was, and I think he got down there, and it's a big task ahead of him. I think he's going to have an incredibly busy three weeks, and you can't put in the time of prep, the type of work that you need to put in. And so he had to step, take a step back. I I think they could lose up to one or two more assistants, to be honest with you, before the Cotton Bowl. Um, Who do you view as the most gonna, important to hold on to? The most important to hold on to are Johns and John Simon, wide receiver coach and offensive coordinator. Um and limbo. I think limbo is also incredibly important. These guys, it, but people are getting it confused. Is these guys want to coach this game? Not only because they want to be there for the city, they're very proud of what they did. Incredibly, incredibly proud. They want to con- be there for the players they recruited and take this to the next step and the next level. That I mean, like people don't realize how much these guys are together during the year. How much of a fight this is. How much of a battle. How how close they grow. And it's so hard. Like, I think it, it was a decision that Adam Fuller probably really struggled with. Um, they could lose more. But as of right now, um, everybody but Fuller and Norvell are over there. Um, they just need to, like, they just need to keep forging ahead. I mean, that's all you can do. Um, Silverfield will start making hires eventually. When, I think he said after the Cotton Bowl, but we'll we'll see if he can hold to that. Right, and you got the signing period coming up too. So National got, signing day is Wednesday. Yeah, so they've got uh, a big few weeks ahead. You think Silverfield's going to do a pretty good job of keeping the guys that they have together? I think they'll probably have one decommit. I think they'll only have to lose one, and they probably would have lost them regardless of who the head coach was or not. Um, I expect them to sign anywhere from 12 or 14 tomorrow. Okay. Say. So um, That'd be a good day. I mean, that if, would be a really good. How bet. many times do you see the coach, a new coach, come in and you keep everyone? It's unheard of, right? Not often, no. I mean, n- like regular coaches that don't leave, <laughs> you, yeah. you usually don't keep everyone. So it, it's a really like look at the transition. You have a win right now. This is a win. I mean, I think at this point, the Cotton Bowl. There's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on Silverfield. You've got. Stuff happening with the staff. You've got you lost both your play callers. It's a lot of pressure. You worry about Brady White staying? Um, if he leaves, it'll be for the NFL. I do believe. Right. Um, last I heard, I do not think he will. I, I don't think his draft grade is good enough for him to leave. I'll say that. I think he'll. Right. He if should he, be back. If he, he leaves, should come back. It'll be because he's done school for so long, and he likes school though. He's weird, man. People who like school are weird. I don't get it. I don't do it. I don't. I don't vibe with school. I don't do it. I don't like. It. I don't like to sit there. But Brady White's all in. I mean, he gets really good grades, and I think there is like a minuscule chance he could transfer. The rules are so ambiguous. So, like, you talk to one person, oh, he could transfer, but because he's getting his PhD. I think it does throw the option out there. So it, it is kind of an ambiguous area that nobody really can. I think he may have to get a waiver if he did transfer. Right. So um, there's a lot of ambiguity there. There's a, there's a lot of question marks still. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a break for a message from our sponsor. The Daily Memphian Tigers podcast is brought to you by FedEx. Possibilities. What we deliver by delivering. 
Okay, we're back. Time to talk basketball, no, Jonah. No, 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 no. Man, we're never gonna get to it. So, <laughs> no, we can talk basketball. Let's do it. Um, so Knoxville, man, what a place! Not my favorite place, but how hostile is that crowd? It was awesome, and there were people who were kind of uh, arguing with me a little bit. I, I shouldn't say arguing; who were disputing. The atmosphere. And, and I actually talked with Jeff about this afterwards. As a Memphis fan, and I mean, tell me if you're with me here, Jonah. It's totally fair to acknowledge that, that was a, that's a tough place to play. Yeah, and I don't that it's a tough that. atmosphere. Like, it doesn't take away from Memphis. It's to Memphis' credit yeah, that they it, went in there and won. It adds to the win that this place was really tough. Right. It was a very hostile atmosphere where, I mean, look. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm going to be honest. It's the honesty hour on the podcast today. We're all about honesty. None of those guys have ever played in a place like that. No, no, not even like, close. I, I think a majority... They said that after the game. ...that none of them have played in a place like that before. And they were still able to find a, play, find a way to win despite not playing well, not shooting well, not really... I think they turned the ball over a little too much. Um, they missed a lot of wide-open shots. They would Precious end up with. Uh, eight and twelve or thirteen. Yeah, eight, like, eight points and twelve or thirteen rebounds. Just something like that. that. If you told me before that Precious only had eight points, I'm like, oh, they're gonna lose by twenty five. Oh yeah, if you told me that they were gonna shoot, you know, thirty under thirty five percent or thirty five percent or whatever it was, I would say, and they were only gonna score fifty three points or whatever they 51 scored fifty one. I mean, even fewer. I would say no way, <laughs> no way. In a, in a game where you, game. yeah, in a game where you win like that. I think their defense was good in the second half, but also on the other side of the coin, they got really lucky that Tennessee Tennessee missed some wide open shots in that game, especially in the first half where they could have you could have definitely opened up a little bit of a lead. Things could have gotten a little little risky, but Memphis persevered. Tennessee didn't take advantage. Memphis persevered and was able to win. And I think in that environment, that's pretty good, right? Like I'm not acting crazy, am I? No, no, that was really impressive. But I, you know, I think their defense deserves a lot of credit, man. Like they are elite, elite on defense so far this year. Um, they, they are a top 20 team in Ken Palm and defensive efficiency. And that is with the pace that they play, which is super fast as well. Um, so that's just super impressive from the beginning. Um, they have this early in the game, they, they weren't, using pressure and so um the play the name of the play which penny keeps bringing up is double fist that's that's <laughs> the name of the play um and so whenever they go to that defensive set um which is basically full court pressure with a trap they've just had a ton of success so far uh this year and it's what brought them back in the game at uab and it's what made that run um, in, in late in the first half against Tennessee, where, where Tyler Harris ends up hitting the shot at the end of the half to take the halftime lead. Um, and so that particular set has been super, super effective for them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much they use it going forward. Like they don't use it the whole game right now. There might come a point in time where they add two more guys back, uh, Lester and James, and they have more bodies where, they go okay. We can pl- we can pressure even more now because uh, we got more guys. So we'll see if they if they decide to do that uh, e- even more. But it's been 
super impressive yeah. on defense. So something that stuck out to me is um, Memphis is Memphis can has the tendency to struggle on uh, the defensive glass. They give up some offensive rebounds. Right. Um, man, they they did. A, I mean, they out rebounded Tennessee, didn't they? Yeah, by ten, I think. I, that was, was nine. That was good. Yeah. Um, so here's my thing. Biggest biggest takeaway. Guard rebounding. Really, yes. really good. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Maurice only had three. Lance Thomas had no rebounds. Had, yeah, that was but, it was a rough game for both of those but, guys. But uh, Damian Ball, six. Bo- Boogie Ellis, five. Alex Lomax, seven. Tyler Harris, five. Like, that's incredibly impressive that, I mean, you don't usually see young guards stick their nose in there and go do that. And those guys were, they recognize, like, okay, we got to go rebound. Like, this, this has to happen. Yep, this was something that Penny talked about at his radio show last night, he said, how did you guys, you know, sort of switch things around and win the rebounding battle against Tennessee, who was doing a really good job of rebounding prior to that Memphis game? And he said, well, you know what we did? We taught him to box out at the beginning of practice. We taught him to box out in the middle of practice. <laughs> we taught him to box out at the end of practice. And then when, when we went to dinner, we boxed out. Uh, when we When we got ready for bed, we boxed out and – they just drilled it into their heads to the point where uh, they knew they absolutely needed to box out, and it helped that Tennessee missed a lot of shots. Yeah, um, but but yeah, the the rebounding was was pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, in the, in that game, you know, uh, the moment for me though was when Drew Pember tried to end Malcolm Dandridge's life, and he and was he like, blocked him, and they called it. a foul. They called a foul, not a foul. Clearly not on the replay, not it was not a foul, to a foul. but. Man, Dandridge, he's working his way back. It's not going to be easy. He played for 10 minutes, didn't score, only pulled on one rebound, one steal, turnovers, and had three fouls. But he's trying. He's it really trying. It would be trying. nice if they could get some uh, some more production from him because it feels like he's it's in him. Like It, it feels like he has more potential uh, to do what they need him to do this season than Isaiah Maurice and Lance Thomas at this point. Because yeah. they need another rebounder, and he's more physical. He's a bigger body than those two guys, um, and it just it feels like he is next in line to get more minutes and get more rebounds. But it's understandable that it hasn't necessarily translated right away. Because you got to remember, this guy just got totally thrown in the fire. Oh yeah, he's just he's been thrown in right away. Like right, there were some people who didn't expect him to play this year, and Penny right. was unsure for a while. And so, I mean, he's been thrown in the fire because they need him. He's been thrown in because he said he was ready. I'm sure those minutes restrictions will come off once he gets in better shape, gets healthier. We'll see. You're adding a big piece of the front court. So yeah, yeah. I mean. Minutes are going to be more thin when James comes back. I think uh, who falls out of the rotation first, Isaiah Maurice or Lance Thomas? They played, Lance Thomas played eight minutes, Isaiah played 17. Man. They I don't win. know. I I I I have an opinion on who I think it should be. Like I think I I think Lance has potential to be more effective because he's more athletic. But they the coaching staff seems to like Isaiah a little bit more than Maurice if they're starting him every game and playing him more minutes. They like him more than Lance Thomas. Is that what you mean? Right, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. You're just a disaster. Um but then I mean, at what point are we going to be starting Starting to talk about 
starting point guard Alex Lomax because it needs to. It, it, we're there. We're, we got to be <laughs> you there. You are right? in the Alex Lomax needs to start fan club. There's gonna, a there's a big fan. There's a, a rallying. I mean, he's. That. At, I at like a point, him off the bench. At a point this season, a lot make of your things. Case. Let's 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 make cases well, against each other. You tell at me a, why. At I a point start. this season, a lot is going to be dictated by guard play. And right now, I mean, Damian Ball played well. Boogie Ellis is so up and down. He was one for seven. I mean, at what point are we are we going to be honest with ourselves and be like, you need strong guard play to win? Like strong defense is great. Having James back will be fantastic. But if your guards can't shoot, if your guards aren't effective, if they can't, like. If they can't run the offense or do this, that, and the other, like you're not going to win games. You- I think Alex is better suited off the bench, and the reason I think that he's better suited off the bench is because it doesn't matter whether he starts or not. He's going to play the the last minutes of the game, which is, are more important anyways. And by starting him on the bench, you give a you get a chance to throw out. Boogie Ellis and Damian Ball right off the bat to get those jitters out. Yeah. Because there is some nervous energy still, especially in a building like Tennessee. There clearly was. Um, and that way they can kind of get in a rhythm where Alex doesn't necessarily need that. He can just go out there and be effective I think, almost right away. I think Damian Ball and Alex Lomax, we don't obviously get offensive and defensive rating for uh college and the way they do it is a little different because of the the way halves are structured um it skews the numbers really weirdly because of the two 20 minute halves but the best defensive combo they have hands down is Damian Ball and Alex Lomax I don't think I, I honestly don't think it's close right actually Alex Lomax leads the team in offensive rating yep outside of James Wiseman which yep. is phenomenal I mean, I, I wrote about this in our in my notebook uh, today that's coming out about how he is no longer a defensive player. Like we can't, we uh, yes, he's a a good defensive player, but we should not, we should no longer label Alex Lomax as a defensive player. We I should mean, call him an all around player he's because that's essentially team. what he is. He rebounds, he gets stops, and right now he's even though he's not a three point shooter. He's shooting an incredible percentage. I mean, he's he, two of four it, from three. But, I mean, it's just like I watch him and it doesn't look like the same player I watched last year. He's confident. I think maybe – I think it probably helps who he's playing around. He's played around a lot of these guys before. He knows these guys. He's comfortable. Like, it looks like a different player. He's carrying himself in a different way. He's confidently doing things. He's moving to the right spots in the floor. Like, he he can dive at the basket. We still and don't talk about him enough as much as we should like we the, a lot of the talk this season is now centered around Alex Lomax and in my opinion he is still not getting the credit that he probably deserves. I'm going to give you 30 seconds on Ryan boys I just I think that there were uh there was kind of a, a gap there between um what Ryan needs for in his college career and what Memphis can provide him like they just can't give him the minutes and he wasn't on scholarship. So, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to transfer it and Memphis, it, it doesn't clear a scholarship space for him though. So it, it kind of, you know, they're losing yeah. a body that they might play a little bit, but they can't really add. He should go, very good. he should go land at a nice USA program. I always thought UAB was a perfect landing spot for him. Hope maybe he'll land back there, like Western Kentucky or something like that. I think, uh, UAB would be interested in him if he, yeah, if they he should had be. Any interest in so, that. at what point 
should I be worried about this recruiting class? At what point should we be like, man? Shouldn't be worried about. Uh, we've been over this, Jonah. We we we're, we've well, we've I'm been gonna over ask this. the question again. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It's fair because a lot of people have the question. There, uh, when when there's concern from the coaching staff that they're not gonna end up getting uh, a class that they like, then I think that's the time to worry. There's no concern right now. I I still think that they think that they're going to get Jalen Green. Like, I still think that they have a chance to piece together, you know, a, a class of three, four, five guys maybe um, Who's, that turn out to be a, a good a good class. But there, there's no worry there right now. Who's going to be the guy to replace James? I mean, like, that, that clear-cut That's person. the biggest question. See, Because uh, Jalen Green's do. a guard. Right. You're going to have a be a very like you can't play five guards. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it'd be fun if they you might, tried. But. If if they end up not getting cuz obviously they didn't get um Dawson Garcia and um they didn't get Sissoko either. So you know, they they still have Big Cliff out there that they could go after a couple other options, but you know, it it may end up being a transfer market thing if they don't end up. They they do need a big man for next year, no question. Well, and like obviously, like Malcolm Dandridge will probably he'll probably take a step forward next year. I don't think you'd this hope Mal- you'd hope Lance takes a step forward next year as a yeah, senior. Yeah, yeah, and so you got to hope. And then DJ Jeffries can play the four if he comes back. Like, but you could be losing what three or four to the draft if everybody keeps improving. So that's a little scary, though, if you have zero commits going into the back half of the season, which, if depending on Jalen Green, they may not. They may they may go into the back half of the season with no commits. And then if you start playing well, then people's names start popping up on draft boards, you may be relying on the transfer market, which is not where I thought we would be at this point of the Penny Hardaway experience. I don't know. We'll see. It's still early, man. There's so many of these things that end up going down to the wire or super late and if they're in position, especially if they have a really good season this year, who knows? They could end up grabbing a couple guys super late that we're not even looking at right now that, that end up being big parts of the class. But two other housekeeping things. First of all, the first net rankings came out. If you need a refresher, there's no more RPI. Oh, yeah. It's net rankings now, which which they're going to use at the end of the season as sort of a tournament resume stuff. Um I wouldn't pay a ton of t- attention to it right now because, well, Memphis is 16th, which is good, but it's kind of a crapshoot early in the season. Uh, you have a team like Stanford picked 10th in the Pac-12 at number nine. <laughs> they haven't beaten anyone this year um, that's any good. So, you know, those are going to switch around a whole lot. And then coming up, you got two more games, Jackson State and New Orleans, and then you start conference play against Tulane. So it's going to be interesting. They had – just had their finals last week along with the football team and Penny hinted at his radio show that he they might have the best GPA the basketball team has ever had so that would be really good for them they got a couple busy weeks coming up and then then they'll be finished but that'll do it for us today you can follow me on Twitter at Drew Hill underscore DM you can follow Jonah on Twitter at underscore Jonah Jordan you can get this podcast or any other daily Memphian podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks for listening. Shoot it! Yeah! We deliver tickets, team merchandise, and everything you need for the game. 
But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.